Hi, and welcome to the Trailside Channel. We are so glad you're joining us. God has a place and a purpose for you, and we hope this message helps you find that and know how much He loves you. Thanks for stopping by and enjoy the message. Yeah, how's everybody doing? Good, good. Like the video said, my name is Riley Taylor. I am a junior at Furman University, and I have the pleasure of starting our series this week called No Perfect People, and they picked the most unperfect person to be the, uh, the cover of it. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, but yeah, so this series is going to be, I think, four or five weeks long. Um, what it's going to be is different staff members um, from Trailside are going to come and share their stories of hardship, heartache, whatever, and how God has used that to work for his glory. Um, so I'm so excited to be here with you and share my, my story with you guys this morning. Um, so I'm going to pray, and then we're just going to dive right in there. All right. <clears throat> God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for allowing us to come here together um, and talk about you and talk about what you've done in my life and in the lives of others um, through your word and through other things like stories. And so I pray that you would allow me to speak clearly and effectively and get your message across. So we love you and we thank you for who you are. In your name we pray, amen. So, I was talking to my lovely girlfriend this week. She's over there, by the way. Her name is Paige. Everybody say, hello, Paige. There you go, yeah. Um, and I asked her, I said, what do you think the, like, what's the best sermon you've ever heard? How, how have they been delivered? And she said, they've been relatable. They've been um, something that felt like it was a conversation with the audience. Something that felt that she could take home. And so... She told me that I should probably tell a funny story because of how, uh, you know, dark some of my stuff is, but uh, I don't have a funny story, so we're just going to dive right in. It's just going to be kind of sad, so, uh, but no, it's going to be happy, um, and I'm going to try to make it relatable, and I'm going to try to make it something that you guys can take home, whatever age you are, um, and whatever you've been through, so bear with me. So the title of my sermon is Come As You Are, Don't Stay That Way, and as I mentioned in the video, I never want you guys to read that statement as... All right, so you can come to church now, and then by next week, you better stop doing what you were doing last week, you know, and then you can walk in and you won't catch on fire. Um, instead, I want us to read that in a way that, so let's think about it. Everyone here has something they've been through. Everybody has some sort of something that might haunt them, or I believe you do. If you don't, that's wonderful. But I think... Um, like I said, everyone has something, whether that be the loss of a loved one, the estrangement um, from a loved one, the getting out of a relationship, whether it be depression, anxiety, financial issues, marital issues, you have something that you're going through, right? And so I think that statement, come as you are, don't stay that way, means you come as you are with what you have and with what you bear, and you let God come in and transform that into something beautiful that he can use to work for his glory and for the good of others. And I think that's what that series is about, you know, and how we've all those who are on staff have experienced that and are bringing it together to form this church. And I hope you guys feel that community here. And we all want you to feel that community here. Um, so what I'm going to do is I am going to, we're going to look at two different biblical stories. And then I'm going to tell my story. And then we're going to look at Narnia. Yeah, it'll be a good time. Got to get some C.S. Lewis in there somewhere. Um, so yeah, if you guys will turn your Bibles to Genesis 16. So a little background on this story. 
Um, this is after uh, Abraham has been told that he's going to be the father of a great nation. And he is going to have many descendants. And he's, he's going to be the patriarch of Israelite religion, right? Well, he's married to Sarah. Sarah's like 90. You know, gray hair, crow's feet everywhere, looking gross. And uh, just kidding. You all look beautiful if you're over 90. Um, and uh, God tells Sarah, hey, you're going to have a baby, actually. And she laughs and whatever else. So Sarah devises this plan. She says, okay, since I'm 90, there's no way I'm going to conceive. I'm also barren. So I'll just get you to conceive with my slave girl. Well, that's kind of whack, first of all, okay? Um, second of all, <laughs> yeah, okay, but that's kind of, like I said, that's kind of whack, first of all. And um, second of all, her slave girl has no choice in the matter. So now, what I want to do is I want to read the story and from the perspective of the slave girl, which is her name is Hagar, and um, what she has to endure in that. I'm also reading my uh, handy-dandy um, academic translation of Genesis. It's kind of cool. A lot of Hebrew stuff in it. I recommend it. Anyway, now Sarah, Abram's wife, had borne with him, had borne him no children, and she had an Egyptian slave girl named Hagar. And Sarah said to Abram, "Look, pray, the Lord has kept me from bearing children. Pray, come to bed with my slave girl. Perhaps I shall be built up through her." And Abram heeded the voice of Sarah, and Sarah, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her slave girl, after Abram had dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan, and she gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he came to bed with Hagar, and she conceived, and she saw that she had conceived, and her mistress seemed slight in her eyes. And Sarah said to Abram, this outrage against me is because of you. I myself put my slave girl in your embrace. And when she saw she had conceived, I became slight in her eyes. Let the, George, let, the, <laughs> let the Lord judge between you and me. And Abram said to Sarah, look, your slave girl is in your hands. Do to her whatever you think right. And Sarah harassed her, and she fled from her. And the Lord's messenger found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, by the spring on the way to shore. He said, Hagar, slave girl of Sarah, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, from Sarah, my mistress, I am fleeing. And the Lord's messenger said to her, return to your mistress and suffer harassment at her hand. And the Lord's messenger said to her, I will surely multiply your seed and it will be beyond all counting. And the Lord's messenger said to her, look, you have conceived and will bear a son and will call his name Ishmael. For the Lord has heeded your suffering. And you'll be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against all, the hand of all against him. He will encamp in spite of all his sin. And she called the name of the Lord who had addressed her, El Roy. For, he said, did I not go, for she said, did I not go on seeing here after he saw me? That's the tea right there. So, there's a lot going on there. There's a lot in the verse, or in the, in the chapter. Um, <clears throat> but I want us, what I want us to understand here is that Hagar had absolutely no choice in this matter. Hagar has completely just been sold off, her body has been sold off to be nothing more than a conception for Abraham in order that he keeps his line going. And Hagar then, of course, is cast out because Sarah gets jealous because she has conceived her husband's child. And what I think is interesting is that Hagar would rather be in the wilderness without any sustenance, any water, any, anything, than stay and listen to Sarah berate her anymore. And so she's in a place where she is completely helpless. She's literally in the wilderness. She's found crying there. Um, <clears throat> and I think the beauty of that is that's where a lot of us find ourselves. You guys ever been lost in the woods? 
Colt, you ever been lost in the woods? It's my brother, yeah. Um, and you feel directionless. You don't know what's east, you don't know what's north, south, west, all the directions. Um, and like, like I said, you're helpless. You don't know what's what. And the thing is, is that Hagar chooses that first, like chooses that because of how bad the situation is back at home. And the beauty is, she's there, and then God comes and finds her, right where she is. <clears throat> and he calls her by name, which I think is awesome, too. Um, and he says, sorry, I'm trying to find my place. Hagar, slave girl of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? And, of course, she tells him that, he's, that she's fleeing from her mistress. Um, and then God, what I think is so cool, is that God ultimately <clears throat> finds her where she, where she is and calls her by her name. And he tells her, you're going to have to go home because, I mean, ultimately, she's going to have a child. She needs support. She needs support from Abraham and from, she needs food. She's going to conceive a child. Um, and then <clears throat> God promise her, promises her something. And he says, that you will bear Ishmael, and Ishmael will be the father of a great nation. Um, so Hagar has literally experienced the worst of the worst. Her body has been auctioned off to be nothing more than something to conceive, something that Sarah couldn't do. And she does all that she was supposed to do. She listened to her master. She listened to her mistress, whoever. And then yet, she still just catches the smoke, you know? She just gets hit with it. And yet God finds her in the wilderness and says, here you are, and I will make you great. You just have got to trust me. You've got to decide that I am worth trusting in this and that I will make you the matriarch of a great nation. And I think what's beautiful is, honestly, I don't even know if Hagar has talked to God before this point ever in her life. And the is, instead of Hagar being like, what the world was that? Instead, she says, she calls God El Roy. In the Hebrew, that means the one who sees me. And then she responds and says, did I not go on seeing here after he saw me? And church, I want to argue that God sees us in our struggle. That God not only sees us in our struggle, but comes down with us in our struggle. He allows us to get through it. He makes life worth living through our struggle. And he's the one who sees us in that struggle. And so that takes us into the book of Job. Buckle your seatbelts. About to dive on in. All right. Anybody read the book of Job before? Okay. Less than I thought. All right. All right, let's liven up. Come on. Woo! 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 Come on. Man, I feel like I'm at a funeral. Come on. All right, book of Job. Job, great, faithful man, has everything. Everything he could ever want. He, uh, he has children, he has descendants. He has land, he has cattle. I mean, cattles are like the, be cattle's like beamer of the, it's like the beamer of the, of old Israel, right? That's pretty cool. Um, he has everything. And then, of course, Satan comes along one day and says, hey, God, like, look at your servant Job. I mean, I don't think he'd actually be faithful to you if you take all the stuff away. 
And then God's like, okay, let's see then. So then Satan decides, or Satan, well, excuse me, sorry. Then Job gets everything taken away. His children, his children die. His, uh, his land is taken away. It's stolen. His house is gone. His friends end up leaving him in the end. His skin even gets a terrible disease. And the whole book is Job lamenting that and saying, like, how could this have happened? What have I done wrong? And then his friends come in and say, Job, you must have done this, that, and the other wrong. And then, you know, his friends end up getting rebuked by God. And God says, no, that's not how it works, whatever, so on and so forth. And God has not spoken direct, does not speak directly to Job until, verse, uh, until chapter 39. I'm not going to read all of it because I think you guys would zone out by then if you haven't already. Um, <laughs> and God basically just looks at Job and says, here's who I am. I've created all these things. I've done all these things. I created you. I created the people who took the things from you. I created the things that were taken from you. And I blessed you with the things that were taken from you. And, Job, and then God says, I just, need, like, I just need you to trust me in this. I need you to trust my goodness and in who I am. And then maybe, maybe we can get out of this together, you know? And I think a part of this book that we miss a lot is Job's response to God after God gets, God gets done kind of roasting him. But basically God, you know, says that he's with Job in the end and has been with him the whole time. So I'm going to read Job 42, verses 1 through 5, um, and we're going to unpack those. Like I said, this is after God has told Job who he is. And then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things, and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I've declared that which I did not understand, things too wonderful for me which I did not know. Hear now, and I will speak. I will ask you, and you instruct me. Because my ears had heard of you, and now my eyes have seen you. I mean, that's crazy. If you look at this, Job had heard his entire life of all of who God was from his friends, from, I guess, priests of the day. He had been given blessing upon blessing. Friends, family, land, the beamers of, of Israel times, Israelite times, you know? given it all. And so therefore he was faithful in that because it was so easy to be faithful then. He had heard, he could hear of God because of all those things that were there. But then when all those things were taken away, he resolved by saying, now I can finally see you. <clears throat> I can see you within my struggle. And he met Job in his breaking. <clears throat> and I think that's what God does. I don't, I, don't, I don't see, come as you are and just don't stay that way as something of, like I said, something where you completely change who you are in order to become a Christian. I, I can't get behind that. I more, I more believe that God comes into your broken situation, whatever that broken situation is, and transforms it into something beautiful to be used for his glory. And so that leads me into my own story. Um, 
So if you thought the first however long was pretty heavy, that'd be pretty, pretty heavy. Um, but, all right, we're still at a funeral, people. Come on, wake up. Sheesh. All right. But, yeah. <clears throat> so my story. Like the video said, I was uh, raised in a Christian home, kind of, sort of. We would go to church every now and then. But I never thought God is anything other than some angry being in the sky that threw lightning bolts down and, you know, coffee blown fire. Uh, <clears throat> I'm going to pull a Sean here. That was a joke. Uh, <laughs> and uh, so then, you know, as my life progressed, I didn't, like I said, I didn't really see any need for God. And then when I was nine, um, my parents split up. We kind of, I kind of stopped going out of church altogether. Um, I was always close with my mom and my dad. And, um, things were good, and so I took the divorce pretty hard. And my dad was kind of um, an interesting character. Um, did some things that um, I'm not proud of, and uh, my family's not proud of. Um, but after my parents had split up, he kind of um, cleaned himself up a little bit, and things it looked better. Like he was, he got a job down in Charleston, um, was working for the military, and was wrapping submarines, doing really cool stuff. And so we kind of thought he was turning himself around. He was thinking about moving back up here to be with us more, and I was looking up. And then July, right before I started my eighth grade year, um, July 4th, I, uh, I got a call, and I got picked up and taken to go see my mom and my mom was crying, and um, she told me that my dad had killed himself. Um, and I think, I mean, my life obviously hasn't been the same since then. And <clears throat> as a 13-year-old kid trying to process that, I don't know how you do process that, you know? And I, I remember just being so angry all the time, angry at everyone, angry at everything looking for meaning in anything other than God, honestly, which is natural, I think. And so I decided, you know, well, I'll play football. Played football, loved football. Tore my ACL a month later after my dad had passed away. Soon that was gone. So, you know, just a good two months there. <laughs> and um, then my mom actually started going to church. And... She dragged me there one, so I'd always play drums, and she'd drag me there to play drums in the, uh, the youth band at Northside Baptist Church. Um, and I started, I hated it. <laughs> I really, really did. I thought church was such a joke. Um, and now look at us, this is fun. <clears throat> and um, like I said, I hated it. I didn't believe in God. I didn't believe in whatever he said, whatever he Whatever he revealed himself to be or whatever he told, people told me he was, I didn't want to believe, didn't think to believe. And I was playing drums one night at a youth conference. And uh, then I remember the pastor speaking on, you know, God as a father and so on and so forth. And I was like, you know what? I think God as a father, if he is the perfect father that they say he is, would probably be a better father than the one that I have. And so that night, I honestly do believe I became a Christian and accepted um, Jesus' sufficient sacrifice to save me from hell, or save me from sin, save me from whatever. 
But I think what I expected was that night for all the pain to go away, for all of it just to vanish out of thin air and be, me be okay, right? But like that's not, that's not how life works. And I, I dealt with you know, that pain and still questioning, like, why, if I'm, if I'm following you, then why is there still pain? Why do I feel all these things? And I think the thing is, is that God meets us to where he feels that pain with us. And he walks with us in that pain. And that pain doesn't go away, not instantly, not in a day, not when you say a prayer. But I think this pain and the, just the struggle of life, I think it, it, <clears throat> I think he walks with us in that. And he comes down into the pit where we are and he fixes that eventually. And so now, I want to talk about how I honestly believe God to work in these stories. And so you're probably asking me, so what? So you've told us all these things, and you've said all these things, and everybody has pain, yeah, I get it. And you're probably wondering, so then what? What do we do? My response is this. I think you should give God a chance. Maybe some of you in here are strong believers. Maybe there's something that you haven't given to him. Maybe there's something that you want a tight fist and you're scared. And guys, I invite you to invite him in and let him in and change that. And so I want to talk about a story from a great book called The Magician's Nephew, Narnia, good book. And in this story, <clears throat> I'm going to do my best to do this without crying, because every time I talk about this story, I sob like a child, woof, all right. <clears throat> so, you have Diggory, right? And Diggory is this this guy who ends up in this magical land called Narnia, and that's kind of crazy in the first place. Um, great book to read. Anyway, getting off track. And so Diggory, his mom is sick. His mom is dying. <clears throat> and so he decides, he hears of this special fruit that's in some other land that he decides that he's going to um, go and get so his mom can get well, because they say that this fruit is supposed to heal you of, of all your sickness. And so Diggory goes to this other land, takes the fruit, and he comes back. <clears throat> and when he comes back, I don't know if you guys have heard of Aslan, the lion that he is, the representation of most people think God to be in the story. And um, when he comes back, he expects Aslan to start screaming at him and yelling at him and seeing that, saying that you should have done this, you've sinned, you've done this, that, and the other. And so when Diggory walks back in the gate, he starts crying, and he's like, God, or not God, Aslan, will you please just like, 
understand, like, I had to steal this fruit because my mom is dying. It's the only possible way that I will be able to make her okay and to be able to have my mom because I have nobody else but I have my mom. And as someone who only has a mom, I understand that, and I, I would have done the same thing. But like I said, Diggory is crying and just uncontrollable, sobbing. And when he looks, and when he, he's expecting Aslan to just yell at him and rebuke him and all these things. And when Diggory lifts up his head, he sees Aslan crying too. And I believe that's what our God does. I believe that when I lost my father, when Hagar was in the wilderness, when Job lost everybody, and they were crying where they were, I believe when they lifted their head, I believe they saw God crying too. And I believe that is why we cannot stay the same when we come into contact with who God is. It's because he comes in and he feels, our, he feels the same pain that we do. And he transforms it into something beautiful. He transformed my father killing himself into me being able to be up here and share the good news of who he is and share that with every single one of you here this morning. And granted, I'm not the most eloquent and I'm not the best public speaker, but still, he's gotten his point across, I hope. And I hope you guys know that he's crying with you through your pain too. And he's here with you. And I pray that you guys give him the chance to let him cry with you. And life is hard, guys. No joke. No stops. Life is hard. But he comes in and he cries with you and he feels your pain. And so give it to him. Give it to him. If any of you guys need to talk after the service, I'm here, of course. Um, and I hope that this was something that you guys can take home and something that impacted at least one of you in here today. So I'm going to pray and we're going to sing one more song and get out of here. And hope that the Browns win today, Sean. Father, you are good. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for allowing us to come here and worship you in spirit and truth. And I pray that we all realize that you are a God who meets us within our needs, who meets us in our breaking, who meets us in our tears and cries alongside us. I pray that we realize that you are the great defender of all of us. And I pray that we would give you that which we're scared to give to you. Thank you for who you are. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you were encouraged by the message and you feel closer to Christ than you ever have before. If you'd like to learn more about our ministry, visit us in person, or help support our mission as we seek to love Jesus, serve others, and live unified, check us out online at trailside.church, or you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. 
Thanks so much for listening, and we can't wait to see you again soon.